We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Veteran winners and losers, as well as a little rookie draft talk. That's what we're going to be discussing today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at BenGretsch.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who's doing a bunch of incredible work over at Rotoviz, getting you ready for your rookie drafts. The Rotoviz Rookie Guide, Volume 3 is out. Got to get that. And Sean, we've had, we had a really fun show earlier this week digesting our our long streams on the nfl draft if you missed those on youtube go check those out subscribe to the road of his youtube channel plenty more to talk about as it relates to the draft that's sort of the last big benchmark every offseason in terms of getting us close to what we're going to see from these rosters going into next season it's always a good time to start looking at you know projections and things if that's your if that's your bag because now we're pretty clear on what these teams are going to look like there are still some Pretty notable free agents out there, but we're getting pretty close to knowing, you know, what, what these teams are going to be. And on the one of the biggest things that happens at the draft, obviously, is the veterans on a lot of these teams are impacted. You've compiled a really interesting list of potential winners and losers. It's long enough that we could do multiple shows on these. I love that your losers list starts with a bunch of running backs, which is sort of the thing that we're always talking about for Dynasty that almost any running back can wind up a loser in the NFL draft. It's just one of those things that happens every year. And if you're able to divest a little bit early in the off season before the draft, it makes sense. I learned that lesson a couple of years ago when I had too much Daryl Henderson and saw Cam Akers go off the board of the Rams, which I was not at all expecting. I mean, that, there was talk, but I was, I was confident the Rams weren't going to go running back. I was uh, completely wrong there. But Sean, how are you doing? Really good. Really good. It's been such a fun week the week after the draft in many ways is uh, just as fun as doing the draft now it wasn't as fun as doing the stream with you but it's been exciting and we had a lot of fun doing that stream colin kelly our producer has reached out to the contest winner during the stream and i also wanted to announce the winner of our rating and review contest that is rosetti 217 who has won a road of this rookie guide if you could that information doesn't come with a, with the way to contact you so just reach out to us contact us via rotovizradio at gmail.com send a little note to colin letting him know uh, how he and dave caben can send you that rookie guide we appreciate everybody who participated in the live stream who sent us reviews all that is really really cool you guys have been awesome and the stealing bananas community is one of the reasons we enjoy doing it so much 
Then we do have actually a few running back winners as well. And, you know, there, there's somebody on here that you know, I do not have any shares of in Joe Mixon, but thankfully a couple of our favorite guys actually are winners. Yeah, you have uh, J.K. Dobbins on your winner list. Your other boy, Tyler Beatty, landed there. So we'll definitely have to talk about that. Rashad Bateman, Travis Etienne, a couple other big-time winners from the first weekend that um, we're always excited to be uh, looking at and willing to take. But do you want to start with the winners? I guess we'll start with the winners. I want to talk about the losers, but <laughs> we, we can start with the winners. Well, let's, yeah, let's give a, a few of these guys – not necessarily their due. They didn't do anything, but look at them as potential big time draft picks early here. And then you mentioned these Ravens receivers. It's disappointing. I think for Lamar Jackson, it's disappointing. If you're a Ravens fan, it's pretty exciting. I think for Marquise Brown to go to a team that may be more pass heavy. He's obviously a winner that we talked about on the earlier show of the week. But Rashad Baton, Tylen Wallace, two of our favorite prospects in last year's draft. Now, Wallace being the four-year kind of guy that the NFL never really got excited about. And then even when the Ravens did have a little bit of injury issues last year, didn't fight his way into too many snaps or routes, but he now has a second-year opportunity. Bateman, a guy who, especially as a first-round pick in last year's draft, now... I mean, Ben, he could be a star, right? It, he still has this limitation. We know that <laughs> the Ravens are really signaling that they're going to go back to this run-heavy approach by getting rid of a starting wide receiver and, and not seeming to care about that. But Bateman, in an offense that can score fast, has a ton of upside. How how early should we be looking at him now that I mean, he's the clear-cut guy. I mean, Mark Andrews obviously continues to benefit, but he's already going at the top of his range. Yeah, I think Bateman becomes a, a definitely in consideration in the earlier ranges. When you know, we on the last show we were talking about some some interesting sort of tier. I don't know what tier tier four, tier five type receivers. Maybe round five, round six, round seven range. I, I think Bateman fits in right with those guys. I. I think the Wallace stuff is really interesting because, you know, I, I've heard Devin DuVernay's name brought up. And, you know, I, I don't know that people are right now going to be as responsive to Wallace, who's a guy that we really liked his profile last year. And, like, somebody has to step up. And so I, he's a guy that maybe by August, especially if we start to hear positive reports, we could see him starting to bump up into like the maybe 12th or 13th round range or something like that. If it's looking like he's going to really get a shot to play. But right now it seems like he's still a complete flyer in most people's mind. It might be an opportunity to to tack him onto rosters really cheaply in a lot of, you know, early off season best balls right now, because I mean, again, th this is not a very deep receiving core and, he would be the best bet, right? To Devernay is, you know, kick returner and jet motion tip pass type guy. Didn't didn't run a lot of routes, doesn't add a lot as a receiver. They also lost Sammy Watkins, obviously, this offseason, who ran a lot of routes for them at receiver last year. People have brought up uh James Proche or Proche. I don't even remember how to say his name. 
Uh, he has an interesting profile as well, but they're going to have to, unless they bring someone in, in free agency, they're going to have to promote from within a little bit. And they do have some interesting players. They do. And, and you think about Wallace and it, sometimes to calibrate our expectations, both for some of these second year guys, but also for some of the rookies, we can think about players who are, you know, vaguely similar. And I think of Sky Moore, somebody that, you know, I joked with the, the, you know, Pat and Pete about uh, with the highlights there. And obviously he goes to the chiefs. I'm very excited about that. And, you know, he's being drafted in that, you know, 107 to 110 range in rookie drafts. You look at Tylen Wallace, and I, I mean, I'd be very hard-pressed to say that Sky Moore could actually be better, right? When you're talking about Wallace, you're talking about a guy who is a similar size, a little bit smaller, has a, a sub-4540, has a sub-7-3 cone. And he put up 1,458 yards as a sophomore at Oklahoma State. He comes back with two more seasons where he averages more than 100 receiving yards per game. He has two years there where he averages more than 17 yards per reception. Now, he's someone who, again, the NFL never got excited about. He's pigeonholed as a sort of low upside possession receiver. We know that, on the one hand, the Big 12 is not playing defense nearly like the SEC. And at the same time, we do have some guys come out of the Big 12 and perform very nicely in the NFL. His last three seasons dominators were 36 50 and 41 you know he has this career yardage share of 35 percent we're talking about very rarefied air and so the problems obviously are that you know he's he's picked outside the top 125 he was a four-year player you know there were always some injury things kind of in his background that people were skeptical about and you know we're not coming out and saying look you know draft this guy even in sort of rounds 12 13 14 i mean he'd be a last round pick or, you know, if you're doing sort of a normal redraft league later in the season, I mean, he's somebody you're going to look at in free agency. I mean, he's still sort of outside that draftable range in a lot of formats, but he's definitely somebody you got to keep your eyes on because when we see players emerge from a late round pick, it tends to be a little bit later because late round picks are not the guys who get pushed out there right away. And it tends to be guys who are actually very good. And we talk about very good and like, you know, how do you know? So we don't necessarily know. But production is just such a great indicator, right? I mean, you don't play that well at Oklahoma State if you don't have some things going for you. Yeah, and to be clear, when I was saying those 12th, 13th round ranges, I'm certainly talking about if they don't make a big addition in free agency, which there's still guys out there. I mean, as we're sitting here talking and we're thinking about trading away Marquise Brown, I, I you know, I'm thinking about Will Fuller still. <laughs> we always we always want to know where Will Fuller is going to land. He would seem like a really nice replacement for Marquise Brown. He'd be a really interesting addition for Baltimore. It would not surprise me at all if Baltimore brings in somebody like that. But I was essentially implying that Walls might be an interesting guy to tackle on at the very last round in drafts now. And if that doesn't happen and we start to hear these positive reports, I can definitely see a scenario where we're talking about Wallace in this you know, 12th, 13th round range by later August. Again, if they don't add a lot and we start to get an indication that part of why they were willing to trade away Marquise Brown and move on from Miles Boykin and, and Sammy Watkins was they think they have something in Wallace. They took him in the fourth round. You mentioned he didn't get amazing draft capital, but fourth round isn't terrible draft capital last year. Certainly, I'm reading these moves as a positive indicator of what they think of Rashad Bateman. Uh, and so as we started, he's definitely somebody that you should be targeting at this point. 
this does seem like a team that is a, a really natural fit for one of these remaining free agents, though, right? It does, and and Fuller would be a mild upgrade on Marquise Brown if he could stay healthy, and you have to kind of look at how much of the stuff that's happened to him is indicative of things that are going to continue to happen and how much is really unfortunate and fluky like a, a shattered finger. I mean, that's going to be the football hitting you in the wrong way and you know, not too much you can do about that. And unfortunately, it's something where I think that the Dolphins maybe made it sound like he could come back when that, that was never really possible. And so then you look a little bit like a malingerer and you know that pushes your value down to an extent. And, and perhaps that's not the case. It may just be that he and you know Jarvis Landry, those guys are like, we can play. You know, we're we're not gonna sign below market. I mean, those guys are basically in the same situation as some of these veterans who have forced trades. It's like if the veterans can force trades, we definitely are not gonna sign low because at some point that offer is going to be out there. Maybe with Fuller it's it's with the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, we still have Julio Jones out there along with those guys. We still have some some real names that uh, this crazy wide receiver offseason, I think you're absolutely right, has shifted the perception of what wide receivers can get. And these guys don't want to sign below, you know, what Zay Jones and some of these guys were signing for, right? They don't want to take these low one-year deals when they saw what, you know, what free agency brought for all the other wide receivers and then what the trade value was on, on many other receivers. And then the draft added to that. And I think you're totally right. These guys are holding out just to see what the best offer they can get is. Well, Marquise Brown, you know, Marquise Brown said that the Chiefs and Packers were still looking at him and trying to make a pitch to get in when that trade happened. Now, we know that the Packers and Chiefs did then subsequently draft wide receivers, but, I mean, there's there's nothing still in those depth charts to where if Will Fuller is willing to sign with either of those teams that he wouldn't become very exciting. Yes, Ben, take me to Travis Etienne. Where, where are you with him? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you that I think it was very exciting. Um, we've been talking sort of since the beginning of the offseason that James Robinson is going to be on a rehab schedule than ETN. ETN obviously breaks his foot in the offseason and misses the year. Robinson tears his Achilles late in the, in the season. Now there's some optimism with some of the other recent Achilles uh, recoveries, but even with guys like Marlon Mack, who got really glowing reports last year, we didn't really see a whole lot. Um, the other guy that I think brought some optimism was Donta Foreman playing pretty well last year, but that was several years removed from the Achilles. I think we have to expect that James Robinson's probably not going to be a pretty effective player in 2023, especially when we talk about how late his Achilles tear came in the season. And so you have ETN and all Jacksonville adds at running back is Snoop Connor in the fifth round. We were kind of joking on the stream that I, I think you were kind of describing him as, as sort of a fringe, not really prospect. Um, and that is something that I love about talking with you and I love about your process is, you know, you're not just saying generic fifth round running back. You're saying fifth round running back that I also don't believe has the talent to really command opportunity right away. The rest of that depth chart is very thin. I mean, Ryquel Armstead had a, a really tough bout with COVID that cost him, I think, most of last year. He's like the most notable name on the rest of the depth chart. It's looking now like Travis Etienne might be in this position to get a lot of work in year two. And there was already a lot of reasons to be very excited about him. 
in that sort of DeAndre Swift mold. I've talked to some people that are really concerned about the Jacksonville offense, but now you have Doug Peterson taking over. It was terrible last year, but we've gotten a lot of reports that a lot of that had to do with Urban Meyer and the way things were going. I'm not saying they're going to turn it all around immediately, but you don't have a very good wide receiver core, very much like DeAndre Swift. You have a bad team that is probably going to be trailing and throwing. We don't always know how teams are going to approach that, whether they're going to throw enough. The Lions were fun in that regard last year, but there's nobody on this offense that's going to really command a ton of volume or looks likely to command a ton of volume. And so Trevor Lawrence checking down to the guy that he played college football with and and is familiar with where he's going to be at on the field uh, as he releases out of the backfield on some of these, you know, pass block and release routes and things. He's going to know where ETN's at. People might kind of scoff at this. I'm, I'm basically taking this idea of QB wide receiver familiarity and applying it to QB running back, but I think it does probably matter. I mean, ETN had that receiving profile. And, and one of the things we talked about early in the offseason is if he plays basically at all last year, he's probably going higher in drafts than he is now. Basically, the only way to be getting him in this sort of fifth and sometimes sixth round range like you can get him in right now is that if he didn't play all of last year, which he didn't. But remember, this guy was a guy that as a prospect, a lot of people, including myself, and I'm pretty sure including you, Sean, had higher than Najee Harris. He went one pick behind Najee Harris. He's a first round pick from last year's draft. He's going to play. And people are sort of already putting him on like this Rashad Penny track where he's injury prone and he's not going to be productive over a long period of time. It's not at all hard to see him come out and have a, a DeAndre Swift type season this year, right? I don't think so. And you mentioned we had him higher. He had a better score than running back prospect lab, especially at the running back position. The prospect lab does a very good job of letting you get a sense of sort of tiers for prospects and, you know, what you're really looking at in terms of floor and ceiling outcomes for NFL guys. And, you know, ETN scores better than Harris and Javante Williams in that. Not a huge gap, but he's definitely a guy that we wanted to be on then both of these injuries are actually pretty scary. That foot injury we know is not an easy rehab and there are some chances that it doesn't work out properly. That Achilles, you mentioned guys can come back, but but one of the things that really stood out to me was an article on the site about Marlon Mack by Dr. Jeffrey Budoff, who's done some great medical work for us, talking about how these guys come back and they're theoretically at 100% in terms of, you know, maybe not having lingering pain or, or being able to go out there and do what they're supposed to do. But there's actually a much longer period before the explosiveness comes back. And so you're taking a back and you're taking a name in your head who's been at a certain level before, and then there's going to be a while. So Mac, in some ways is interesting now with the Houston Texans because he's had this time and maybe he can get back to being who he was. Obviously, we saw him last year in a situation where he was back, but not explosive. You know, you look at, at Robinson, and, and that's kind of the case with him. And it really hurts for him, I think, because he's somebody I think is vastly underrated, even among fantasy managers who are enthusiastic about what he's done, vastly underrated as an actual talent. That guy is one of the best running backs in the NFL. And so that does hurt ETN if both of those guys are there. But one of the things that this pick, I think, tells us a little bit, and this could be you know, looking too far into it. it could just be something that Snip Connor was their favorite guy on the board when they picked. But you're talking about a, a big guy, right? So, you know, 222. And that, I think you would argue, well, there's probably more overlap with what Robinson does than what ETN does. Maybe that's a little bit of a window into how the rehab is going. As you said, we would expect ETN to be ahead. 
and then Connor himself. And this is one of these things where we want to take pot shots at guys or you know, that type of thing. We always mention how you know we're, we're kind of rooting for these players. We hope that we're wrong. But it is something that as you're doing your own fantasy drafts, it does matter how good players are. And not all late round prospects are the same. I just had an article out on the site yesterday about the guy I think who is this year's Elijah Mitchell. Now, obviously, there's not going to be an Elijah Mitchell this year, but there are some really good players late, like Mitchell was, who have these pros- these profiles where you're like, okay, if they get the right chance, then there's at least a possibility because players who are athletic and productive, even when they're drafted late, they sometimes pan out. That's probably not the case here with Connor, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy with a 4-5-9-40 and a career high at Ole Miss of 651 rushing yards. His last two years, he's under five yards per carry. He's not a receiving back. So again, I mean, this is sort of a a throwaway pick to an extent. And any time that a team could potentially have added somebody because they have these injuries at running back, that's exactly the same things with Dobbins and Gus Edwards. I like the Beatty pick uh, because he maybe has the closest profile to Dobbins. I think Dobbins is the guy that's going to score a ton of points. I don't think that's going to be as much of a committee as people think for a long time. I thought that Edwards was a a real, almost a long shot to actually be on the Ravens this next year. As we've gone along the last couple of weeks, I think that his situation has solidified, but you have Beatty there as somebody who could fill in that Dobbins role. And he's not JK Dobbins, but he's a pretty cool prospect in both of these situations. There was the possibility that they would add guys they didn't do it a couple other situations where they didn't do it the new york giants the new orleans saints yeah two former you know top three overall pick back saquon barkley alvin Kamara, look like they're in good spots mark ingram is still there with the saints and he he certainly changed things for Kamara a little bit late last year and for the giants devonta booker is no longer but they did bring in matt Breida. From Buffalo, obviously the new brain trust was in Buffalo last year, and Breda was interesting, kind of late last year. But it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of competition for either of those guys. Camara, we do have some concerns and uncertainty off the field. I think you had mentioned to me that it's starting to sound like any potential suspension there might come in 2023. Barkley is the one that. You've been pretty excited about all offseason. I think you've gotten me excited. I, I saw an interview with him just in the, in the weeks before the draft, and I think this made pretty big waves. So, so maybe a lot of our listeners saw it as well. But he, you know, pretty much acknowledged I haven't given this organization what they thought they were getting because of health, right? But when they when they took him in the second round, and he doesn't like that. He wants to make sure that he's going down as you know worthy of being considered a a generational running back prospect and these types of things you can you can say whatever you want about that i i I, it's just a a player commenting they're all going to be optimistic but it was uh a little bit of a competitiveness that i really liked because one of the things that you know is really hard in any kind of fantasy analysis is knowing just where these guys heads are at where their uh, conditioning is at in the offseason and things like that Obviously, every year we hear the best shape of your life type stuff, all of those things. But one of the things that I've given a lot of consideration to is sometimes we probably don't wind up getting the same player as maybe they were at a time in college or whatever, because maybe their conditioning hasn't been as good going into the pros. Maybe they've lost a little bit of their athleticism because they're not taking care of their body as well as maybe they should have or some of those types of things. 
it seems like that's not a concern with Barkley. It seems like Barkley is very committed. And I don't want to, you know, go too deep into that. It's pure speculation, obviously. But it, I, I do like the idea that Barkley is is willing to say straight up, I know I have more to give than what I've given and has this, you know, chip on his shoulder, so to speak. It, 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 I'm not going to lie. It makes me want to draft him more. Yeah, that is cool. And, and in many cases, too, it's, it's not necessarily a matter of anything the player can do. Just running backs get old very fast, as we saw with Todd Gurley and David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. And Ezekiel Elliott, who was the uh, best shape of his life guy last year, and it, it didn't really pan out. Right. It's like, I mean, he could be in fantastic shape. I could get in the best shape of my life. I mean, it would take months at this point. But once I did that, I would still not be the same athlete that I was maybe in the not quite best shape of my life, you know, in my early 20s. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. But I do love the situation here now. And I'm looking at my redraft rankings. Tier three for me is Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, and J.K. Dobbins. And then tier four, which I think have some of the names that people are actually going to be expecting, Joe Mixon, James Conner, Nick Chubb, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, and Aaron Jones. It, am I too high on him there? I mean, the, the names that I could potentially be much too high on would be obviously Hall and Barkley, and then Dobbins we've just discussed. But Mixon, Chubb, Javante, even with Melvin Gordon, you explained why that's not – it's not the same issue that it was last year. We'll see what an issue it is in terms of ceiling. I mean, we, we always talk about Najee Harris, and it's just he doesn't have to be that good because he's got all of the work. Any names that jump out to you there as being in the wrong place and or especially as we're looking at these guys that we mentioned as winners – are, are they looking to be in the right place? Are you excited about those guys at that point? I think a lot of the veterans I'm not super excited about. I think I want Javante at that price. I think I want that's that's definitely an aggressive Brees Hall ranking, but I want I want exposure to him, certainly. Saquon is one of the veterans that stands out there as a guy that I would be very interested in. Yeah, the biggest name that stuck out to me was Javante. I was like, oh, you would have him even behind like Mixon and Chubb. Or in that tier, uh, I, I think I'd have him the tier up. And I think there's good justification for that because the upside to really break out is there. Mixon, Ben, I don't think that he's necessarily talked about as a winner because maybe <laughs> I was the only person expecting them to possibly add. But he has the same mildly underwhelming depth chart behind him. He's still not really draftable for me because he has this profile where the price and what he could do. I mean, I don't think that he's going to be one of these guys who at this stage of his career breaks out and becomes something completely different. Although with that workload and in the Bengals offense, and he could be sort of a historical anomaly and jump into that legendary range this season purely as a result of context. And I think that for me, the fact that the Bengals haven't addressed the depth chart with him, haven't given him sort of a 1B, does at least free him up for that chance. Caught me off guard a little bit. I had to gather myself for a moment. You just made the case that Mixon has legendary upside. The way I'm looking at it is, yes, the offense is fantastic, but even last year when it was fantastic, he was he was very good and had a 
career high in touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken, had a few games, especially when they were pretty, pretty run heavy, where he was sort of like the focal point of the offense. I expect that to be a little bit less frequent. My thing is like, you're just getting another year older on a guy that hasn't shown the type of efficiency. We talk a lot about how the expected points need to be at a certain level, but you also have to have the efficiency on top of it. He's, you know, with the touchdowns last year, show like that. that's how you can do it. And, and he had 16 TDs last year, and it, it was a career. I had never had a double-digit touchdown season. I just – I don't know that he can match those 16 TDs necessarily. I mean, I think we can talk about how good this offense is, but my bet would be on the under on that number, right? And then you have this uh, – he had 292 rushes last year. 300 rush seasons are tough in the, in the modern NFL. I don't expect – we will see him getting particularly close to that, whether by, you know, potential injury, obviously, or just the offense being more pass heavy and not giving him those, you know, close to 30 carry games that he had a few of. I just, I don't really see it. I'm not, I'm not that interested. I kind of saw it a little bit last year more, frankly, but now that we've seen in the sense that the, the touchdown spike was, I think a little bit foreseeable. But now that we've seen those touchdowns and people are looking at this career high in yards and career high in touchdowns and and one off his career high in receptions last year, now you're talking about, okay, he's a 26-year-old back who's coming off all these career highs. I don't want to pay for pass production, even though his price is basically the same as it was last year. It's not like that elevated his price a ton. But I don't know. I've been looking at it like this is the type of guy that I wind up being off of. Maybe I'm just not adjusting enough to the fact that his price, frankly, hasn't adjusted a lot. He was 10th in running back expected points last year, and he's in that 16 range where it's just not high enough to burn, you know, a first or second round pick unless you could put up like a six FPOE season. He actually did very nicely last year. You mentioned all those touchdowns. That gets him to 1.9. But, I mean, you're still in a range there where you were undraftable at that price. And so we would need him need to believe he's actually going to benefit more from an offense that should be more pass heavy. There are ways that that could happen, but as you mentioned, that's a narrow path to victory. But any of these other guys, we, we, we want to get to the losers here. Some of the, in some ways, the losers are more fun. Any of these other winner names stick out to you? We have Darnell Mooney, the Chargers wide receivers. I thought there was a possibility that they would add somebody. Gabriel Davis. Now we like Khalil Shakir, but they didn't add a wide receiver in the first round. I didn't think they were going to, but there were a lot of sharp minds who thought that that was a real possibility. They didn't add a wide receiver at that spot where they went with Cook. And so, I mean, he, he seems very insulated now in an explosive role. Jalen Hurts, very clear-cut winner. It's more a case of, like, just how high can you draft him? And can you put him up in that Lamar Jackson Kyler Murray category now that he has those receiving weapons and then and his best friend his best and friend. his best friend yeah. such a good story such a good story I know yeah. Ben has spent the last couple of days uh, photoshopping him onto like every place in the country perhaps on the moon um, we love that we love that and then I mean this was expected the Jets telegraphed all this but Zach Wilson is is a winner I mean he's gonna be surrounded by weapons you can either Make it or you can't at this point. I mean, he's got guys to throw to. Yep. I think you kind of gave the cliff notes on, on all of those guys. Well, the ones like Darnell Mooney don't really need a lot of, of explanation. 
So I think we should shift over to the losers. I will just say before completely turning the page on Mixon, you you have him as a winner, but I, I do want to. I think for me, I'm still concerned about Samaj Piran and Chris Evans, the guys that were backing him up last year, who were both pretty effective behind him. And and again, when I talk about the size of the workload, I mean Chris Evans can still catch some of those passes if they go more pass heavy. He looked pretty decent as a pass catcher, and Piran's been good as a backup. So. Still has some competition on the current roster, even though they didn't add another competitive piece. It could be looked at that way, right? That the Bengals already liked what they had. But the losers, you have a bunch of running backs. You have Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. That's kind of an interesting one because all the Rams added was Kyron Williams, but he does profile as a very specific type of player that they haven't necessarily used a pass catcher. And so that is, you know, uh, a real concern for passing downs. So you have Damian Harrison or Ramondre Stevenson. Obviously, the Patriots added a couple of backs and one that you love and Pierre Strong. You have Leonard Fournette. The Bucks in the third round go for Rashad White. He's one of our favorite rookie draft picks with a lot of upside with the size, speed, and pass catching combo. He's going to be one of my favorite handcuffs in redraft this year. If Fournette were to miss time, that I, I think he would be more talented and expected to be more talented than what we've seen out of Keyshawn Vaughn. I think we've got enough sort of negative feedback on Keyshawn Vaughn to believe that Rashad White would be the bet to to sort of lead that backfield. There's no guarantees, obviously, but it's a bet I'd want to make in that situation. Michael Carter obviously gets joined by the top running back in the class, Antonio Gibson. Washington goes and adds James Robinson, and they're talking about a one-two punch. Austin Eckler, the Chargers at Isaiah Spiller, who you were mentioning to me prior to the show, you've watched some some more film on the other day uh, in the last couple of days since the draft and thought he looked really good. I mean, obviously doesn't ha- didn't have the um, speed, the, the the 40 time that we were hoping for, but he seems to fit really well into that big back role, something they wanted to do last year and maybe just didn't think Joshua Kelly, Larry Roundtree, some of those guys they had were up to the task, which is part of why Austin Eckler was able to consolidate so much work, especially down around the goal line. Spiller, a real concern for that. Elijah Mitchell, they they add another third round running back in Tyrion Davis Price, who's a four four eight guy at, at size at two thirty. Rashad Penny, they obviously add Kenneth Walker, James Robinson. You have as a loser with a question mark here. We kind of already addressed him. So your first like eight on this list or nine on this list are all running backs. I think you can make a really strong case for basically all of them being losers. Who are the ones of that group that stand out the most to you? Well, this Patriots thing it still is mind-boggling for me. And, you know, we, we joked on the stream that if there's a position that you actually are very good at evaluating, just pick that position entirely. If it's running back then, I mean, there are only so many running backs you can play in any given play, and there are only so many snaps in any given game. You've got to take your other good running backs off to you. I mean, this is devastating for Ramondre Stevenson. Isn't I mean, I was joking with Pat the other day on, on overtime. Is there a chance that Pierre Strong doesn't make the team so that we can move him somewhere where he could be useful? I just, I love Stevenson. I love Strong. I mean, I moved Damian Harris, you know, more or less out of my redraft rankings and then had to go back in and put him at a spot where, I mean, that at least admits that he's the starter still. But I mean, you're talking about zero ceiling now for him. I mean, he already had a workload that didn't work that great for fantasy when I mean, you get the touchdowns but i mean now he's got all of these other backs 
who are are so similar. And we know that you know maybe there's this exploitable opportunity for Harris and Stevenson as Strong and Harris essentially get redshirted. We know that they do that. But there's just too many guys. And and we're we're right back to the situation where I mean you could never play these guys in a normal format. It would have to be best ball and even then, I mean you're using a pick that could go to a player who actually breaks out and does the Rashad Penny or the James Conner or the Devin Singletary type of thing where they give you this stretch of games down the stretch of your tournament and you win your tournament as a result. I don't know. I mean, am I looking at this incorrectly? I, I love Stevenson. A couple of my favorite people, Travis May got me on him last year. Obviously Pat was on him too. I mean, he looked like a potential star. Pierre Strong is one of the best backs in this draft. I've suggested he could be the third best back. It doesn't matter now, right? I mean, these guys are all completely stuck. And you still have James White, who was a free agent this offseason, and the Patriots brought back on a two-year contract. And it sounds like he may not be healthy, but I mean, either way, I mean, yeah, you have him there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think they wouldn't I, – I, the way I'm looking at it is they wouldn't have brought him back if they didn't, you know, see value there, right? Um, they, they, there's not a lot of guarantees. There's only uh, 500000 in fully guaranteed money, and there is actually a, a small roster bonus due in the beginning of August. It's possible he gets cut if he's not healthy by the beginning of August, but there is, you know, a, a base value of $5 million over two years. It's a decent contract if he's actually on the roster. It seems like the Patriots certainly are – considering moving forward with him continuing to be their pass uh, passing downs back into his age 30 season this year is an easy one to forget. It is. It's really complicated now. If White is there, especially, I think, and you don't even have the passing work or at least a good chunk of the passing work and the third down work is going to James White, now you're talking about a two-down competition among multiple talented backs that you know, White may not stay healthy and all those things. And if that can free up, like you said, it could also consolidate at a certain point and there could be this stretch where one of these running backs is is sort of the lead guy and also playing some on passing downs and has a really nice stretch. But it's really hard to see how this season will play out in terms of their backfield snaps and playing time. It can go a lot of different ways. I'm with you. I, I think you put that really eloquently that these guys are more or less not going to be worth drafted. They're drafting and, and they're going to go higher than where you probably want to take them when you mix in Pierre Strong. Hey, Rotoviz fans. This is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal Rotoviz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout it gives you full access to all of our content and tools and again that's rv radio 2022 at checkout for 10 percent off a one-year rotoviz subscription enjoy the podcast we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Are there other running backs you want to talk about? I want to talk about some of the receivers that you have listed here as losers. Yeah, well, just kind of quick notes, as you mentioned, Kyron Williams, not a high draft pick but has this James White profile that, you know, you just talked about how White could really hurt the Patriots. Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson already in this situation where they can't afford to have the pie split anymore. Now, maybe they're still, and and maybe it's actually the slightly most likely scenario that Akers gets healthy, consolidates, and those other guys are pure backups and they have them there. In case Akers gets hurt, you can do this cool Henderson-Williams committee, and that's effective. And so it, some of this is just contingencies, especially at that draft price, but it it does raise this sort of ugly specter to where you know your EP profiles for those guys are pretty devastating. I actually did a dra- uh, trade, you know, a month before the draft or so, where I swapped AJ Dillon for Michael Carter. That didn't work out. I think it it made some sense. I'm not upset about that trade because if the Jets don't hit Carter with Hall then I think you pretty clearly win. You're thinking they could easily do that. If they do do it, then you lose. But you don't lose by this massive amount because both guys are backups. Carter is just one injury away, and we don't want anybody to get hurt, but he's just one injury away from being very valuable again. But obviously, he's lost a ton of value. You got some of those other guys. Elisha Mitchell is interesting. Mitchell might be a player who now falls to a level where you can draft him I guess I would be a little bit skeptical about some of his backups if he can stay healthy. And if Debo is successful in sort of getting himself back to the receiving role, you know, Mitchell could be a little bit of this almost post hype potential league winner. And we talked, I think on the stream about how Penny, if his price gets pushed well down, you know, he could do the same thing he does last year. If, if anything happens to Walker again, we hope that doesn't happen. Well, before we move on, Mitchell's really interesting to me because he's a guy I've been pretty much fading and trying to trade in dynasty and, been off of Tyrion Davis price to me feels very much like a an attempt at a redo on Trey Sermon because he's got the size profile and we know that the Niners have sort of had multiple roles for their kind of inside the tackles grinders and their you know speed edge guys and and Davis price has enough of a profile that he could potentially be a, a speed guy but He's more of a size speed guy, right? His I, I think his time was 448 and it's impressive at his size, but it's not really what they're looking for with this true lightning type back that they had with Raheem Mostert and then they kind of used Elijah Mitchell as. I like your thoughts there. I think if his price starts to get more palatable that he then maybe becomes an interesting buy as the next Raheem Mostert even if he's not able to get as much work as he did last year. 
he would still seem to have a role and not have a ton of competition in that role. And I think he could add some receptions. I, that's exactly right on on Davis Price because we tend to think of these guys as oh, what's the you know what's the speed score and forget that it's not just size adjusted <laughs> athleticism. I mean, the the pure speed actually matters. What Mostert did and Mostert a guy posting you know some of the best actual on field times of any running back in the NFL over the last three or four years. You're not going to do that <laughs> with you know someone who's essentially a four or five speed guy. Now, it doesn't mean they couldn't be a big part of the offense. But that, you know, quick strike ability is still going to be much more Mitchell. He's also someone who could add some receptions. They bring him in as a late drafted rookie. He wins the starting job, but it's a lot to handle right away. And so we saw Jamichael Hasty do some of those touches. But Mitchell is not someone who has no receiving background, right? As a sophomore at Louisiana, he caught 20 passes for 349 yards. Now, again, when he's, he's going against non-NFL uh, secondaries in that situation but when you're talking about the pure breakout speed when you turn 20 receptions into 349 receiving yards it's again just something that yeah i mean 17 and a half yards a catch is that it's, right it's gigantic and so mitchell somebody fun don't overpay but i think a player to now sprinkle into your zero rb approach because he's now going to definitely fall into that area at least in some formats and some drafts yeah he's definitely a little more interesting yeah it's funny we have we're talking about him here as a loser i think we're talking ourselves into him being a winner potentially as it relates to market perception i think he's definitely a loser but people might think he's too much of a loser Tyrion davis price we, we, i also saw today that debo samuel has followed the 49ers back on social media which is the big reporting of 2022 is when players are following or not following their teams it would seem that Tyrion Davis price is a better fit for the Debo rushes, right? Again, the, the Trey Sermon, this, this bigger back role that they were treating Debo Samuel as late in last season. Maybe that was a pick that actually made Debo happy because it was sort of presented to him as look, now you're not gonna have to play running back anymore. We got this other big back and either Davis price or sermon, or maybe some sprinkles of Debo will be handling that stuff, but it just doesn't seem to be really affecting what Elijah Mitchell does in the offense. On the receiving losers, we have Elijah Moore. I think that one's sort of straightforward. Not a massive loser. Still really great profile. Good, strong rookie year. But, you know, when you add a top 10 receiver into your passing game and we don't know about the quarterback play, that's that's concerning. Chase Claypool, I think, is a very clear one. They add George Pickens. And that, to me, is a, a pretty clear indication. And I think we've already talked about it a little on the show sort of overlaps with what Claypool does more than what Deontay Johnson does. Um, we had some issues with Claypool midseason last year, particularly in that one game. We had some issues back in his rookie season where he was performing really well and they stopped giving him as many routes. They started rotating in James Washington and Mike Tomlin had some quotes about him not basically being someone they trusted yet to be a full-time player. So I'm not sure they're really in love with Chase Claypool long-term is sort of the, the way that you would read the Pickens move. And Tomlin's main thing there was that he's like, we're not going to play music at practice. Don't come to me with that again. Right. <laughs> That's right. He also had a very big issue with Claypool wanting music played in practice, which, you know, you could go either way on that. You could, you could definitely say that Tomlin is the one that is being ridiculous here, but bottom line is it doesn't seem like Claypool is fitting in well with the team that's going to make the decision that's going to, determine whether or not he's playing a lot he's good enough that he's still going to play and he's not somebody that should be undrafted or anything but the pickens the pickens pick looks like 
you know, the writing is on the wall a little bit there. Juju Smith-Schuster and Marcus Valdez-Scantling you have here. Obviously, adding Sky Moore is a big element. I'm fascinated by Kansas City's receiving room. They obviously also added Justin Ross, who we spent a long time talking about on the last show. You have Miko Hardman still there. You have a lot of other depth pieces. This, to me, looks like a really pretty fun receiving core now, which we have sort of... I mean, it's sort of predictable when you talk about Juju Smith-Schuster and Sky Moore and Justin Ross all landing on on the receiving core in the same offseason. We were bound to like it. It's this group. I mean, you still have Josh Gordon on the roster. They brought in Corey Coleman, who's a former first-round pick that I was surprised to see earlier this offseason is still kicking around and getting an opportunity to come to camp. There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of names. You would think that MVS, Juju... Mikol, Sky are really sort of the core of, of the like the top four. Ross is gonna have to really earn his way into that. All the other guys on the on the on the roster would have to earn their way into that. But it's not, I mean, adding Sky Moore is particularly concerning, I think, for Juju. They have skill set overlap that has been talked about a lot. But it's not something where I guess the way I'm looking at this, and I'm curious your thoughts, is you have Travis Kelsey, who is now, I think, a really easy pick in redraft, especially in Dynasty. You know, you do have some age concerns, but Kelsey's going to get his. Um, And then you have a lot of guys that are going to sort of rotate around, and I think it's going to be fairly flat in terms of their usage and their, their target distribution and who might get what opportunities, but somebody could certainly emerge but that the Kansas City made a real effort this offseason to not be just Kelsey Hill and instead be Kelsey and a lot of different types of weapons, some speed and MVS and Mequel, the underneath abilities of guys like Juju and Sky. They they have a nice blend of you know target hogs and field stretchers and skill sets. They can do a lot of different things and a lot of different, depending on who's healthy in a lot of different types of formations. Where, where are you at with Juju and MVS? Yeah, I, I think that you had it perfectly there in that Juju is the person who obviously gets hit. The MVS one is interesting because I, even though there was so much talk about the Chiefs continuing to add a wide receiver, they were expected to potentially address that in the first round. They were evidently in the mix for some other trade candidates. And yet there was still this scenario that they actually don't add a meaningful receiver because you could look at them and say a three receiver set with Hardman, MVS and Smith Schuster. When you know, you have the NFL's best tight end and Travis Kelsey, they talked about how they're going to use their backs a little bit more as receivers. I'm skeptical, but we'll see how that kind of plays out that it was possible. They could go with that. And they did even trade down in the 50 range a couple of spots. They got hit by a couple other receivers being selected. We don't know for sure that Moore was actually their target, although it seemed to be from pre-draft reporting. But there are some things that could have played out here. They could have actually taken nobody. They could have taken one of these guys that was super risky, in which case I think that MVS would be more solidified. And there were there were some receivers who went ahead of Sky Moore who weren't as good of prospects if it works the other way and those guys end up on the Chiefs, then you're like, okay, well, now I can actually bet on MVS being the guy because I think that this other player, I mean, his bust potential is super high. With Moore, it's almost the question of what's the ceiling, but maybe Moore is a little bit more Stephon Diggs than Golden Tate. 
if he has a little bit more of a vertical element with you know a Patrick Mahomes as opposed to you know a, a small school QB, then that potential is to hit on some of these deep opportunities. But then just you know we focus first on the guys who have overlap in routes and profile. But then the secondary thing is just that even if you don't have overlap in the way you're used, it does still shift how what, what the overall target pie could be. You know, if, if Sky Moore isn't wide open underneath constantly all game, then there's going to be more incentive for Mahomes to be like, you know what, let's let's take some 60-yard shots to MBS. And so you potentially lose a little bit of that. Obviously, the Ross situation, you potentially lose a little bit if he goes in there. You mentioned Corey Coleman. In terms of going through all this different prospect research, you hit on some different players at different points, and, and you look at Coleman and you're like, I just of anybody now we know that it's in the that baylor offense that put up video game stats and that some of those stats obviously are not going to be that relevant as it translates to the nfl but Corey coleman not panning out was was bizarre and i mean somebody who's done as little as he has done has had the injury issues he's had i mean you're looking at that as like super deep but for me as a chiefs fan I'm, i'm looking at this and saying I hope that the guy who sticks kind of at the end of the roster is either Justin Ross or Corey Coleman, because both of those guys, you know, if they end up getting to play at all, I mean, there's this tiny, tiny chance that one of the two of them could be fun. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of intriguing profiles here now. And so, I mean, that's fun. You're playing with Patrick Mahomes. Let's give all these guys a shot to to earn a spot to, to run some routes and catch passes from Patrick Mahomes. You got to love it. The fallout from that Terry kill trade has been, Really fun and, and interesting for fantasy football. Could be, you know, really great for a few of these prospects into the next few years, certainly. You also have Rondell Moore on here. He's somebody I wanted to talk about as a potential loser. I've seen a lot of that discussion. I think I've seen some commentary that's essentially said that, you know, the Marquise Brown trade is good for everyone except Rondell Moore. Now, the DeAndre Hopkins suspension came if i'm not mistaken after i saw some of those types of comments and so maybe that's changed you know some of those types of positions but um certainly for more you and i on on draft day and, and maybe on the stream we're talking a little bit about how trey mcbride is probably a worse sign for rondell more than even marquise brown and yet i i still want to be in on more. I'm not, I'm not willing to just kind of completely fade off. One of the big discussions that I've seen pop up again, this off season, it popped up last year. It's like, who's the comp? He doesn't have, he's five foot seven. He's so small. I, I actually gave that a lot of thought and might write about it at some point, but I feel like the comp is, this is a, a weird one, but it's um, a baseball player, Jose Altuve, who's incredibly short. And the reason I say that is there's this element of, of selection bias involved where players Rondell Moore's height get weeded out at every step. They get weeded out in high school. They get weeded out before college. They get weeded out before they get drafted. He has the draft capital now. He has as much size and athleticism as you could pack into a five foot seven frame. He's already a one of one type of player. So if you're looking at it from the physical element, again, I, I bring up Jose Altuve because he's a guy who, even by the time he made Major League Baseball, people were saying, this guy's too small. He's not going to be productive. He's been a multiple-time all-star. The ceiling is still there for more. I don't think you can use his physical stature as a reason that he doesn't have ceiling. And you can also look at football players. There's not a lot of great receiver comps. Steve Smith, I think, is the one that we've thrown out the most as like sort of the best upside comp. I'm sticking with that one, too. 
Yeah, and when I've looked at some of the other positions, I mean, Bob Sanders was a Pro Bowl safety. He had some injury issues, but he's like 5'8". He's notably very small for uh, a safety. There's been a lot of running backs. So, you know, if you want to talk about the way Rondo Moore is currently used, you can talk about, you know, Maurice Jones drew a lot heavier than Rondo Moore, but basically the same height. Uh, Ray Rice, you can go all the way back to like Barry Sanders. Darren Sproles might be the best comp. If you want to talk about a guy who caught a ton of passes in a similar type of role. How about the number 43 pick in this draft, then? Is, is it helpful at all to, to to comment to someone who hasn't played yet? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are seeing the league shift towards more willingness to to, to take smaller receivers higher and use them more. It's a more spread offense. The de- uh, defensive backs can't put their hands on receivers as much. That's all just happened in the last 10 years. You know, uh, 2014 is when they really started enforcing the defensive holding and uh, illegal contact rules after like the Legion of Boom was was so notable for essentially challenging refs to throw as many flags as possible was the way that they they were good. That was the the big talk in you know 2013 2014 with the Seahawks. And there was a, a memo that came. I've talked to talk about this every offseason in 2014. A memo we're going to enforce defensive holding and illegal contact more. That's ushered in in just the last eight seasons. This era of more spread offenses and receivers are able to run free and more production for smaller receivers. This is something we're shifting towards. Some people I think are over shifting. And, and Sean, you and I have talked about still liking guys like Traylon Burks for having that size. Again, I, I just I, I want to I want to keep going back to the selection bias thing on on Rondo Moore. And, and again, uh, Darren Sproles is, is the probably the best example. There's not a lot of running backs that have ever looked like Darren Sproles. What his eventual ceiling was at the NFL, he was a one-of-one one regardless. And so my my main thing is there's not a lot of great comps about Moore. All of this target competition, all of that stuff, no matter Rondell Moore's size, can still be a problem for Rondell Moore. And why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and this is a situation where I didn't – I guess – I mean, maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way, but I don't see how Marquise Brown necessarily – hurts him because it mostly sends AJ Green to the bench, right? And makes their offense more explosive. It makes it more difficult to deal with him. When we look at at more, I think that one of the things that when people I, the comps are great and when we've got a lot of really cool tools at Rotoviz that give you a range of comps in different areas. You know, the Workout Explorer gives you the athletic comps, the Box Score Scout gives you comps that are both workout and production, uh, even things like seasons play, that kind of thing to give you, you know, this sense of which are the players who really do comp to this guy. And that gives you a feel, again, I think for the range of outcomes. But just because a guy doesn't have a clear comp doesn't mean that, you know, he can't play. Because, I mean, all of this conversation seems to forget how unbelievably good Ron Delmore was in college and then this other element of like how he's unique and people don't come to him well one of the reasons they don't come to him is because there are not a lot of guys who run a 42840 have a 6653 cone and a 42 and a half inch vertical i mean rondell moore is the most athletic player on the field every game <laughs> every time he steps out there he is the most athletic guy and so you know the cardinals have said we're going to use that a little bit more and more successfully this season. I think they'll do that. One of the picks that I really like from a reality perspective, and I think it has a fun potential down the line in fantasy, but is a real kind of fly in the ointment for a variety of guys, including sort of himself. And that would be the Trey McBride pick, as you mentioned. You know, that's obviously a huge concern, I think, for Zach Ertz. It's a concern for McBride, the other, other way around. It also opens up the possibility that we could see both of these guys together, in which case, 
you know, those formations are probably not going to be good for more. A lot of this comes back to how effective the offense is and how well Kyler Murray plays. I guess the thing for me, Ben, with Rondell Moore is that this hurts him and moves his price down. That's fantastic because in any given year, we're looking for second-year breakouts that aren't expensive and second-year breakouts for guys who are actually fantastic collegiate players. As the community gets sharper and sharper and learns more and more and closes these exploitable holes every year, I mean, you've got to dig more to find these opportunities but i think we're being presented a clear-cut one with rondell moore especially with that first six weeks i mean that first six weeks is going to be so fun for mcbride if he's in any way shape or form ready to play it's going to be fantastic for marquise brown it's going to be fantastic for rondell moore and you know if you're an aj green believer you've got some some shots there so the the big picture i think is just that it's exciting and even though i think it dramatically lowers the floor again for more because you have this possibility now that you know he's a a 40 percent snap share guy and i mean you're not going to be a fantasy viable at that and one of the things that's so interesting for more is that he was easily the leader in terms of you know targets per route in this team and i mean you obviously talk about that kind of thing all of the time but even for that to be relevant, he's got to go out there and play. One of the things that's interesting is he doesn't have to play a ton because if they manufacture a bunch of touches when he's out there, and if you get six catches for you know 25 yards, people will be like, well, that's absolutely disgusting. But it is eight and a half points. And then if you catch two more passes for 40 yards, you're suddenly in great shape. If you ca- if you get a carry for a touchdown, I mean, there are ways in which Moore wouldn't actually have to play that much to get a lot of touches. And you know, people or just hammer this a dot hammer this a dot you know if you're getting free points on those and a few real plays also exist that's the thing that didn't happen last year his target depth does not have to become a real receiver target depth to be viable in fantasy he just needs to add a few of those types of plays that are successful right and and then suddenly like oh you know what i actually do like i mean one of the things that we look at with stefan Diggs all the time is that anytime that he's disappointing it's because the team for whatever reason took away his short targets and you know, we've got a guy who's going to give you those targets in all likelihood. And so, yeah, they're a really important part of the distribution. Absolutely. But we do, like you said, we got to get, you know, the two catches for 40 yards as you, as you just talked about that line. I think the rest of it is really easy to imagine, but those couple big plays is what we didn't see enough last year. And, you know, he did have the one game where he still had a great game because he had, 11 catches for 51 yards. I'm looking at his game log right now. It's like, okay, well, on PPR, I mean, not not for people who don't play PPR, it wasn't a great game. But in PPR, you got 11 points just off the 11 catches, right? But for the most part, he's sitting around, you know, topping out at five receptions. He's not adding those explosive plays. And that's the main issue, as you're alluding to. He's a... yeah, I, I'm excited that you're still excited. He's a, a tough guy to kind of talk about in terms of really calibrating what the range can be, because I think you're putting it really well that even if there are some barriers, the range can still like he can still be very good for fantasy, even if there's some playing time barriers or whatever. The ways that he was used are not inherently bad. And I think a lot of people have looked at it as inherently bad as we talked about. 
you also have uh, Kadarius Tony and Sterling Shepard on here. And we just brought up Wondell Robinson. He absolutely crushes the college targets per out run stuff. His ADOT rose each season. It was really interesting. He was used sort of closer to the line of scrimmage. He had a very low ADOT, two point something ADOT. Then it went up in the six range. Then it went up to 10 last year. And he still was drawing a lot of volume. The average receiver is usually right around an 11 ADOT. So you're talking about, you know, close to like a, a normal ADOT at, at 10 plus. He probably won't have that high of an ADOT at the NFL level. And over the course of his career, it was certainly in the single digits and, and a lot lower when you average the three seasons. But all three seasons, really high targets per out run and productive. And now he gets the draft capital and comes into New York. People are saying this is Brian Dable paying a second round pick for his Isaiah McKenzie. And as we've talked about it, I know you, you're you thinking and, and it looks in his profile like there's the potential for quite a bit more than that. I think so. And, you know, if, if you pay the second round pick, even for someone who maybe isn't going to be a number one wide receiver, but their floor is incredibly high. I mean, you could start to really build your offense out here. You mentioned the A dot, how it rose. I mean, when he was at Nebraska, they used him straight up a ton at running back. And so you look at the size and you think to yourself, well, I mean, that's a red flag. It's a red flag at the same time. <laughs> you've got a player who, you know, his teams were just handing him the ball and he ran wild, right? I mean, you're talking about maybe the best receiver in this entire draft class with the ball in his hands. And so the element there that I think is, is worrisome for Tony and Shepard, especially, I mean, Shepard obviously is going very late in drafts, but it's just another little thing, another little hurdle that he has to overcome. I mean, Shepard every year, he's dealing with some type of hurdle. It's unfortunate because if he had stayed healthy and gotten good quarterback play throughout the course of his career, he probably would have been a very, not great, but a very good NFL player, which is, is not something that's easy to do in its own right either. Uh, but I think that Robinson potentially knocks down the ceiling for Tony and just puts another hurdle in place of Shepard finally having kind of that fun year where maybe it's like a 15th round pick, then you know he gets a, an 11, 12% win rate for you. That's still possible, but now it's less likely. What do you think about Daniel Jones? You've mentioned him a couple of times. We've talked a little bit about Kenny Galladay being a guy that's just too cheap right now for how good of a player he is. I mean, he had a horrible year last year, but the market seems to be treating it like he's now bad at football. And he's he was a good prospect. He was good in all his years with the Lions. We know that receivers can struggle on new teams. He had injury issues last year. He had a bad team. Now, now he has an offensive scheme upgrade. I think Galladay is kind of interesting. I did a draft recently where I took Galladay and then ended up stacking him with Daniel Jones. And you've been, I think, a little bit more optimistic than me about Daniel Jones and what these additions and Brian Dable could mean for him. The thing about Daniel Jones is that he doesn't have to be good to be the fantasy quarterback for you. And we had a discussion about Jerry Goff. I think I'm still actually, I was thinking about this again sort of yesterday. I'm more excited about Jerry Goff maybe than the rest of you guys were on the stream. I think he can be an interesting quarterback to put in the mix i think the lions are going to be very good on offense which maybe that's just me as a lions fan i do want people to who are listening to remember the three places that i have sort of lived and brought the the fandom with me i lived in detroit for a couple of years when i was a little kid and that always sticks with you detroit lions fan obviously grew up the vast majority of the time in kansas city huge chiefs fan currently live in arizona i'm a cardinals fan so when i talk about the cardinals lions chiefs <laughs> keep that in the back of your mind 
I'm excited about Jared Goff, but with Daniel Jones, all the things that you mentioned that are big problems for Goff, we have the opposite with Jones, where because he is this actual very good runner. I mean, Daniel Jones is the guy who has these breakaway rushes at the quarterback position. Now, a couple times he's kind of fallen down from right before the goal line, so that just makes you look silly. But Daniel Jones, you know, he can add that rushing upside. He's now going to be in this cool offense, and bet they've got some guys around him, right? I mean, the thing that has happened to this Giants offense the past several years is that we think they've gotten poor coaching. I mean, that uh, seems like it's probably not going out on a limb to say, but they've also just been hammered by injuries. And so if the supporting cast around him gets deeper, which it has, and if it then gets a little bit luckier and stays healthier, all of those things will be very positive. And I think when you're looking from a fantasy perspective, you want to look at situations where people are just kind of burned out on a player because like we've heard this before like we were told before that this stuff was going to work and it didn't and then you also have these situations where the players don't actually have to be good daniel jones for me would be a big winner because one of the reports that we heard was that sam howell falls into the third round the giants are going to take him as a potential developmental prospect and then he does do that and they don't take him and now daniel jones i mean he's going to get 2022 to show what he can do right i mean it's not going to be somebody else so you have a full season Maybe he fails and they do make a draft pick, but Daniel Jones could be bad enough to fail and have the Giants use their first round pick next year on a quarterback and still be very helpful to you in your fantasy leagues. I mean, that's the perfect situation. Yeah, and let's close with the Lions because you mentioned Goff. I'm not as sold on his upside, but you also have Amon Ra, St. Brown, and DJ Chark as losers here. Obviously, James, Jameson Williams going where he did to Detroit shifts things there. We have TJ Hawkinson. We have DeAndre Swift, who played huge roles in the passing game last year to the extent that the wide receivers until Amon Ra broke out late in the season were, were not doing much at all as a group. Now you have a lot more talent because Amon Ra did break out and looks like this strong slot option. They add DJ Chark. They add Jameson Williams, who is recovering from the ACL. We always hear that they're you know ahead of schedule, but he sounds like he's already running. I think we're going to see him earlier in 2022 than some people are expecting. Maybe not in week one, but maybe by October as opposed to November. This is a pretty good skill position group. Like you said, what does it mean? I mean, I think it's pretty bad for Chark, who didn't get a lot of guarantees or a big contract in a market where everyone was got to think a one-year deal right and Williams does some of the downfield stuff I know you like Chark so correct me on on why we should still be interested in him but then also Aminra I I know there's a, a subset of fantasy Twitter and the fantasy community that really likes him and is interested in what he did late last year how impressive that was his targets per run were fantastic for the season I think you have to really like what he showed in year one. At the same time, he kind of profiles as a long-term slot guy, and you want this really target-dominant profile for that to, to really hit because he's not going to probably get a lot of downfield work in an offense that has these other field stretchers, particularly Jameson Williams. What is his long-term, pro? I guess short-term and long-term profile look like with Jamison Williams on the offense. I mean, I'm having a hard time seeing the, the the true target dominance, like the peak Jarvis Landry or peak Keenan Allen stuff, which was, I think, sort of the thesis for liking him where he was going in, in redraft. 
I think that's a little bit tougher to see with him now and that he becomes like a, a not a, just a complimentary player, but certainly not one that you probably want to take in the fifth round of drafts. Right. And we look again at this being a situation where players don't have to have overlap in how they're going to be used to cause some issues for each other. Although there is some potential there as well in that these massive games for Amon Ra and you and I kind of always look back on that in a bittersweet kind of deal because we didn't start him in one key game in our FFPC main event. Those games came at a time where TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift were either out or limited. And so even kind of looking back at what he did there, we know that some of the other guys who would have challenged for some of this underneath work were not challenging in the same way. Now that's not to say that he doesn't deserve credit for what he did because you have to be really good to benefit from that and to carry a Lions team that had no talent at that point. So it's not something where we say, oh, that doesn't count. It's just a matter of kind of how the offense is going to work. We're not 100% sure. But Jamison Williams is a problem simply because he does profile as a potential superstar. And even if his profile maybe isn't a 30% target guy, it does create an environment now where I don't think that you can look at Amon Ra as a 30% target guy. If it were purely Chark, that was the other kind of interesting player on this wide receiver depth chart, then you could say, well, I mean, Chark is a big play guy. He can make some plays if he's healthy. You know, you're talking about a handful of targets per game. One or two of them hit. It really helps the team. But Amon Ra could still be in this you know, dream ceiling scenario, like a 28 to, to 31% target guy, even as the slot receiver, as you point out, I and mean, if you're a superstar and then you have room to outperform that, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round draft pick. But even if you're a target hog, you're a very good player. If you're playing opposite a star, then you just you can't have the same overall target ceiling, even if you guys aren't running the same routes. And so from that perspective, I think that he gets hurt. I mean, Williams is an interesting prospect in that he was very clearly, I think, in that group with London and Burks as the best wide receivers in the country last year. And yet you have all of the Ohio State stuff in the background where Wilson and Olave kept him, you know, very much sidelined. And so that part will be interesting to track as we go forward. But when you're looking at someone like Williams who can get open at will, and you look at even some of his games against the very best teams in the SEC, catching passes and guys having the angle on him, and he simply outruns the angle, right? There are very few players that can do that. That's one of the reasons why people are interested in Tyreek Hill, even though, I mean, there were always some refinements in his game, that weren't there and he benefited from Patrick Mahomes being this unbelievable quarterback. If you're actually in that four, two area, and I don't know that we know for sure that Williams is, but again, when you're out running a clear angle on sec defensive backs, it's just pretty exciting. And that's obviously why Detroit moved up to take him there. That kind of player can't help, but be a little bit of a, an issue for the other guys. I think the main thing for me is now it's pretty exciting to be a Detroit lions fan but Amon Ra's ceiling has to be a little bit lower. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Any other names on our loser list that you want to cover before 
we went a little long. We talked about rookie drafts in the intro, but these winners and losers conversations were pretty fun. I think we'll have to save our rookie draft discussions for next week and talk about some of the moves that we're making in our rookie drafts. Uh, any other losers that you want to cover? Well, we do have a, a couple of their names here, but we'll save them for a future show. It's been... We, we got so much time and we're so eager to just talk about this. Stuff. It's 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 pretty hilarious that we did uh, all the streaming we did last weekend and we still had two long shows this weekend because, or this week, be, because we really just love talking about this stuff and it, it's been a blast, but we should probably pace ourselves a little bit. Yes, yes. And, you know, for... People who look at the the length of the show before they click, you know, we gotta we gotta keep it in a range where people are like, I can get this done, you know, sometime in the near future. So then that will take us to the end of today's Stealing Bananas. It has been a lot of fun. This is the perfect time, as always, to subscribe to Stealing Signals. Ben has a bunch of cool off-season stuff planned for you. Uh, it's such a fun time over at Rotoviz. Michael Dubner, who we had on the stream and was really cool. You guys liked him. He's got a great article out about how there are some advantages to playing in these big best ball tournaments right now. We release the underdog tools on the site. Some of the info in there is just, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but there's such cool stuff in there. Michael does a great job of distilling a handful of things into this piece, talking about you know, how you can win right now. If you want to hop over and join us at underdog, you can do that using the coupon code Rotoviz, and you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. Ben, we're going to be doing some of those drafts. I can't wait for that. I was almost thinking like, let's do a, let's do a draft stream today uh, for the show. But obviously we had over an hour worth of other things to talk about. We'll be doing some of those soon. You can also join us over at the FFPC where one of the reasons why we didn't do the draft show today is we didn't want to give like tip our complete hand for a Rotoviz Triflex rookie draft uh, that we'll be doing this weekend. You can also get involved in the startups over there. We've got new leagues forming all the time. That Rotoviz Triflex format has been just an absolute blast to play. And you can do that with the FFPC as well. So join us for all those leagues. Again, thank you for all the uh, great reviews you all have sent us. We'll have another contest sometime in the near future. Subscribe to the feed. Subscribe to Rotoviz. I guess I should say that. Use the coupon code RBRadio2022. Get a 10% discount and read Michael's article. Thanks again, everybody. We will talk to you soon. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.